was dope. All right, Rufus Villain, Street Crime Corner. What's up, Josh? We're Yo, back. What's up? What are we talking about tonight? The Night Stalker. Yes, dude. We've been real super excited for this one. Like, I um, put a lot of research into this one. Like, uh, you and I do our stuff in kind of a different ways, but uh, let's go ahead and let them have it. I had to keep it going that long just so we could hear the, just so we could hear the chorus a second time. That's what's up. Yeah. So we're, uh, tonight we're talking about the Night Stalker. My definition of evil. Yes. I mean, he's definitely my definition of evil. Like um, the big thing I'm going to get into tonight. Like I've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but I am not gonna. I'm not gonna get graphic. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go out of my way not to get graphic because this guy was a monster. So he was born Richard Munoz. Ramirez. There was a middle name there that I wasn't able to say right, so I decided to not say it. So, but he was uh, he was born February twenty ninth, nineteen sixty, in El Paso, and I'll get into it later. Leap year, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll get into it later. But he died uh, February twenty ninth, nineteen sixty. Oh no, nineteen. I'm sorry, two thousand thirteen, from lymphoma. He died from lymphoma. Oh yeah. And he he died in the Marion General Hospital. Mm. And, you know, he actually had a wife at that time and shit. Yep, it was we, his his prison wife, right? It was his definitely his prison wife. Yep. Definitely his prison wife. But the the crazy thing is, like, he was, you know, we'll get into his convictions and everything like that. But for him to live that long to die at the age of fifty three, yeah, you know, I don't, I didn't do the math how long he was in jail, but it was a long time to, yep. in my opinion, be the most evil man on earth. Mm. Next to like maybe Hitler. Yeah, I guess he was in there for almost twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like we'll get into like on part two of like the Black Brides and all that stuff. But like uh, he had a total of seventeen victims. He had a total of seventeen victims. Was convicted of nine, suspected of four more, and proven of ten. Oh, okay. You know, like, so that's kind of where, you know, like there's all this like muddiness. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. But he was born to, I wish I had a Mexican accent to say this properly, uh, Mercedes Ramirez and mm-hmm. Julian Ramirez. That's pretty good. Julian. Julian Ramirez. The thing is, is he was brought up in a really tragic, 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 like, um, up, upbringing. Like, mm-hmm. the, like, his father was, like, super, super violent. Yep. Super yep. violent. You know, like, uh, the thing is, is that was the up, that was the upbringing of like the, of a true psychopath. Yeah. You know, I'll get into like McDonald triad in a little bit, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, just to like kick everything off, you know, like, uh, once we get into, once we get into everything, he had more than one nickname, mm-hmm. you know, like most, uh, iconic serial killers did not have their own. They didn't. BTK is the only one that created his own nickname. Yep. So this will probably be a gold badge episode, right? Oh, dude. Yeah. Go ahead and give him the rundown real quick. <laughs> like, yeah, like we don't uh, advocate all that. Do you remember all that? I do. Yeah. It's just, you know, as always, we do not advocate or support <laughs> actions or reviews of the subjects contained herein. We just find them pretty interesting. Yeah. This is, this is uh, guys out there. There's just probably slight. This is like a. You like uh, we love this subject. This is probably our heaviest one we've done so far. No, well, yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a toss up between this and Dahmer, I think. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So, but you know, we'll just we'll just throw that out there. Uh, what uh, book did you use for your research? Oh, it was uh, Philip Carlo's called The Night Stalker. Okay, it really interesting. It got into a lot of like um, a lot of like uh, actual interviews with him and stuff like that. And I personally decided to not like get into a lot of um, like the terminology that was used, and okay, because we're not we're not shock jocks. Yeah, we're just trying to bring the story. Like yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you all this graphic shit. Well, mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you graphic shit, but I'm not gonna. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can go about it in a certain way where it's not. Well, I'm gonna use yeah. terminology that is digestible. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not trying to gross you guys out. Right. Exactly. You know, like that's <laughs> the long and the short of it. I'm not trying to like be one of these people. Like, I'm not even gonna go into it right there. I'm just gonna, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, like uh, his like list of initial names before he got the Night Stalker was the Valley Intruder, the Midnight Stalker, 
The Walking Killer, The Screen Door Intruder, and The Highway Killer. <laughs> the Screen Door Intruder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Screen Door Intruder. <laughs> like it's that actually kind of is a creepy image if you think about it actually. Yeah. Because a lot of people in LA at that time didn't actually sleep with their doors locked or anything like that. That's true. You know, like they just they would just but you know, like even today, like here in parts unknown, I sleep with a lot of my windows open. Mm. It's simply because we didn't have somebody like that around. Simply because we don't have somebody like that around. Fingers crossed. Right, right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So uh, his uh, his reign of terror, which I wrote it down as reign of terror, was from 1984 to 1985, which is very unprecedented for serial killers, because there was like no cool down period for this guy. That's true. Yeah, it was like. He had, like, I think his longest cool-down period was, like, six months. Mm -hmm. Something crazy like that, like, five, six months. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, he just, he just, like, was going, he was just, like, going at it all the time, you know? Like, yeah. And we'll get into, like, his obsession with Satanism and all that stuff, which, honestly, it was a big part of his uh, drive. You know, like, he thought, we'll get into it when I get, get to that part of my notes, but he actually <laughs> thought he was an advocate of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <coughs> excuse me. But uh, the big thing about him is he was a very unorganized serial killer. Yes. There's organized and unorganized serial killers. Right. Like, he, his whole thing is his MO was all over the place. Yeah. And, like, uh, one of the things I have later is he would actually not bring implements and, like, find implements. But then he started bringing implements, stuff like that. So he was, uh, I, I mentioned this before, he was uh, convicted of 13, proven of 16, and suspected of four more. Right. Which is pretty interesting, you know what I mean? Like, because uh, at the time there was, like, no forensic, forensic evidence, anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, a lot of this all came from, like, his testimony after the fact. Right, right. So, like, he grew up in a very, very violent family. Like, uh, they were in El Paso. His mother was an evangelist. And, you know, and his father was this fucking drunk that would kick the shit out of all of his five siblings. Yep. You know, that's, that's, uh, I'm, what I'm getting to right now is like the soup of a serial killer. Right. Well, and so he, uh, that was all before he was like 10 and like, yeah, it was, I think it was that, nine. He had a couple eight. head injuries too, right? Yeah, I got that next step. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so at the age of four, he had a massive head injury, common to most serial killers, but not part of the McDonald triad. Right. He had a dresser fall on his head, had 34 stitches to, to clean it up. Mm -hmm. Knocked so, him unconscious, right? It knocked him unconscious, yeah. Yeah. Then four years later, he was struck in the head by a, sw a park swing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that one knocked him unconscious, too. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so if you guys uh, if you guys are familiar with the show, you know the McDonald triad, right? Oh, yeah. It's fire starting, cruelty to animals, and bedwetting, mm -hmm. which is not... The thing is, the head trauma is part of a big part of anything linked to serial killers. It's like almost every serial killer in history has had some kind of head trauma. Well, with all of the research these days on CTE, that makes a lot of sense. Mm, yeah, exactly. Like, think about Chris Benoit. Mm -hmm. Think about Chris Benoit. But uh, soon after his second head injury, he started actually having epileptic seizures. Oh, yeah. And that, that actually didn't stop until his teenage years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the big thing about that was like uh, it's kind of like jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, uh, cousin Mikey, you know cousin Mikey, oh yeah, introduced him to marijuana, which mm -hmm. kind of like stopped the seizures and stuff like that. So around this time, he actually started sleeping in like cemeteries to like get away from his dad. Okay, he, he literally started sleeping in cemeteries, just just as a place to sleep. Well, that was when he was a teenager, right? When he was thirteen. Okay, yeah, and the. The thing is, is like I, I watched one interview. Is like if there wasn't a cemetery, he would have like slept in a park. Mm -hmm. But the cemeteries were like the closest thing to where he lived. There was closer cemeteries to his house than parks, so he'd, right. he'd, it'd be like quiet there to go and sleep. <laughs> you know, like that's. I think we've all known people in our lives that kind of had that type of type of upbringing. Mm -hmm. You know, like to where like it's uh it's better for me to like not sleep here. Right. You know, like, yeah, I get that. And it kind of sucks, but you know, like, the, like I said, what I'm getting at is like the soup, mm -hmm. that perfect saute, oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. perfect saute. So right, uh, right around this time is where his uh, cousin Mike like started hanging out with him. Oh yeah, which tell was, me about cousin Mike. He was a Vietnam vet. He was a Vietnam vet that actually, 
he actually started showing Richard videos of him like raping and killing. Or they were Polaroids, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Polaroids. Started showing like it, like of him raping and torturing and like victimizing Vietnamese women. Right. You know, and that's that's fucked, man. Like yeah. that, that's again, that's why this episode is like ranked real high. Like, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm bringing you guys a real serious story. I'm trying to. Trying to not be a shock jock, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm trying to let you know who this guy actually was. Right, and also on that note, um, a lot of uh, his uh, psychological and sexual development was happening around this time. Well, that's the uh, that's early, an average time. Pubescence, that's, right? That's an average time, right? For right. This. So yeah. that had a big um, a big impact, I think, on his on his mapping as far as how mapping is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. Like it's it was well, imprinting is another word for mm-hmm. it. But that's where he's basically starting to develop where his psyche is um, decides what's sexual, what's okay. What's right, and uh, blending the two together specifically between sex and violence. That was a big thing with Dahmer. Yeah. That was a big thing with Dahmer. So, like I mentioned a minute ago, like uh, this is uh, where Mike actually uh, introduced him to marijuana. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, I'll get into he starts uh, uh, playing around with acid and LSD. And, well, same thing, sorry. But yeah. Right, right. But, you know, like it's, you know, this was like in the 70s at this point. Right. You know, like, so that was like, it was a whole nother world. You oh, know, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if he was, you know, mid-teens, it was like right in the middle of the 70s. Like <laughs> right. 75, you know. Right, right. 74, 75 if he was 14, 15. Especially, you know, like you got to put yourself in, like, I hate to, I hate to say this, but put yourself in a young Richie's shoes. You got an abusive father. You have a cousin coming back from Vietnam showing you polarized of himself killing people and raping and torturing. Where's your where does your wiring go at that point? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's yeah. that's like one of the big things that uh, got into the book that I went into is like like it, it was more of psychology than like anything for this book. Yeah, you know, because like, it's um because the big thing is are we is nature versus nurture? But I'm sorry. I don't matter. I don't care where this man was born, Richard Ramirez. He would have been evil. Yeah. And like I just, I just think he was evil. Well, um, you know, and two, uh, they were talking about uh, on this um, documentary that I was watching about him of how you know he uh, he had all these negative influences, like you said, an abusive father, um, you know, Uncle Mike, um, all these sort of things. Um, and and all of these sort of negative or quote unquote evil influences, mm-hmm. right? Sort right, of right. sort of led him to believe that maybe Satan was the god for him. Exactly, instead of, instead exactly. Of god, you well, know? he eventually ends up believing he's actually a demon. Mm. He, like in his own psyche, he en- ends up believing he's yeah, actually he was, a demon. He basically thought he was like the right the right hand of Lucifer, basically. Right, right. Which some scary shit. <laughs> some scary shit. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, like uh, you like actually hit on something I'm gonna get onto in a minute. Okay, okay. Yeah, but like, I really like that you thought about that because that that was his psyche. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you think about like televangelists and stuff like that. They genuinely believe that they are the right hand of God and can touch you and heal you. Most of them are fakes, but some of them actually believe what they're doing. Right. You know, and then Ramirez, like you get into his crimes later. I'm <coughs> doing the same thing. You get into his crimes later. He actually stops wearing a mask because he believes that he's actually hidden by the powers of Satan. Right, yeah. Like, if he would have worn a mask, he could have gotten away with it for years. Well, and that's one thing, too, you know, like, um, and I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but since since we're on the subject, like, him him, uh, doing these things and and getting away with it for so long just sort of increased his belief that he was protected by Satan. Exactly. Um, You know, uh, you'll probably talk about Holiday Inn here in a little bit. Um, You know, like, that was one of the main things Mm -hmm. that really sort of fueled well, his he, belief he, he that believed he was there was nothing. He believed there was no way he could get caught. Right. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I definitely am going to mention that. Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. No. To, no. No. I'm glad. That you, I'm glad that you got that in your head already. Yep. I'm glad you got that in your head already. So um, the the big thing that I have to touch on in his young childhood was it was 1973, May 4th. Okay. His cousin Mike shot his do- shot his wife in front of him. Mm-hmm. Shot him in the face or yep. shot her in the face. Yep. And uh, and that right there that like changed him it, like it made a click you yeah, know what but I mean? like, he never told his parents that he saw that happen no and like uh one of the things that you actually mentioned well we t- talked about a little bit before 
But this is actually in, like, if you look into psychology and stuff like that, this is where he actually started to create the connection between sex and violence and control and stuff like that. Okay. And like, cause like that his cousin Mike was like this huge influence on him. And like, he watched him shoot his wife in the face in front of him, exerting control. Mm-hmm. And Richard's like, okay, that's how you have control. That's how you, that's how you have control. Right. So, and the big thing, oh, okay. I have actually written here that he was 12 years old when that happened. Then actually, uh, in a, uh, and interview later, Richard actually enjoyed watching the killing. <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. You know, it's a perfect recipe. Like I, I keep saying, it, it's like a perfect recipe for somebody that's not experiencing the McDonald triad to be formed as somebody that that is this fucking evil. Right. Yeah. So shortly after that, he moves in with his sister Ruth, which has a I didn't write down her husband's name because the guy disgusted me. Literally didn't write that down. But he moves in with his sister Ruth to get out of uh, El Paso, Mexico, and that's in San Francisco for the first time. Okay. For the very first time. And her uh, her husband, Ruth's husband, was a notorious gone to jail more than once peeping Tom. You know, like, this guy was, like, notorious for being a peeping Tom. That's okay. Like, that's what he did. Like, he would... And he actually started taking Richard out to do this. Started mm-hmm. taking him to do it and, like, show him how to, like, get away with, like, staring at women through their windows and, like, oh, dude, this is how you do it, man. Could you imagine taking the, could you imagine being so twisted that you were, you would take a 12-year-old dude, 12-year-old boy with you and be like, oh, look. This, this is how you become a professional pervert. Well, yeah, a professional pervert. Professional yep. pervert. <laughs> so, in ninth grade, he actually started his experience with acid. That ninth grade, dude. How old are you in ninth grade? 12? 14, 15? 14, yeah. Yep. Like, at first time I took acid, I was like 25. Mm. Yeah. So this is where he actually starts, like, uh, developing into an adult. Well, a pre-adult. Right, And, right. and he discovers ACDC. Okay. Which is why we played the opening that we did. Exactly. <laughs> so he actually committed his first rape in high school. He was... This is... Uh, so he committed his first rape in high school working at the Holiday Inn. Yep. Yeah, working at Holiday He was 16 at the time. So what happened there? He stole a key card. Well, he had a master key because he worked there. Yeah, right? well, the the in the book that I went through, he actually stole a key card that matched rooms to the floor that he was working on. Okay. So he could have opened any, any door on that floor. Yeah. So he stole a key card, breaks into the room. Tries to rape the woman that's there, and the husband actually shows up and beats the crap out of him. Yep, like beats him unconscious. Beats him unconscious. Needless to say, he loses his job over it. Right. Needless to say, he loses his job over it. But they were from out of town, right? And And he doesn't get charged because they don't want to. They refused to come back to town for the court date, so they dropped the charges. Yeah, they they didn't want to testify. Yep, yep. So, and that's what I was saying earlier. Like, I really think that fueled his belief that he was protected by Satan. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Like, imagine imagine having those beliefs in your head, going through a... uh, an experience like that, getting away with it, being on acid, and like, oh, Satan's the reason I didn't get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> like, Satan's the reason I didn't get in trouble. So I'm gonna keep doing this. Yeah. I'm gonna keep doing this. <laughs> you know. So it, the, the crazy thing is, there was a trial, but they didn't want to come and and testify. Yep. So Holiday Inn just decided to, you know, you you don't work here anymore. Like, just get out of here, man. Like. I didn't write down the exact year, but think about it. There was like no DNA data- database. There was no nothing yep. like that. It was probably like 77, 78, something like that. Yeah. So, and uh, just at, oh, so two years, because he was 16 when that happened. Okay. Two years after that, he actually moves to Las Vegas by himself and actually starts uh, living on what they call Skid Row. Right. Well, so um, before that, though, uh, Mike, I think, got out of the mental institution because they sent him to the mental hospital. (laughs) Right. And so then he was like hanging out with Mike and doing acid. Well, he stayed stayed in contact with him until the day he went to jail. Mm -hmm. He stayed in contact with Mike till the day he went to jail, which is like, dude, I have plenty of people that... I realized we're toxic, but you know, Ramirez didn't have an idea of like what toxic was. Right. <laughs> so like, can you imagine being 18 moving from El Paso, Texas to Skid Row? That's where he gets addicted to cocaine. 
That's where he gets addicted to methamphetamines. Mm-hmm. That's where he, like, he starts doing all these... And he starts actually living off of a convenience store food, which rots his teeth out. Okay. You know the story, right? Yep, yep. Rots his teeth out. It was probably something to do with the meth and the coke, yeah, too. Probably sure, yeah. But <laughs> but uh, like a lot of the victims used to actually would uh, mention his halitosis. Right. Because, you know, like his... One of the things you can see Richard Ramirez, a lot of people would talk about is like he had this awesome head of hair, yep. but his teeth were fucked. Yep. You know, and his breath stank. And he actually got identified more than once by like, oh, he, he had long, black, curly hair and stinky breath. So yep. It got identified more than once that way. So he was like hey, living on crappy food, like his teeth started fucking ropping yep. out. That was when out. he um, became a car thief too, right? That's for, dude, he never ever drove a car that was his. Wasn't, that was his. Mm-hmm. Never ever drove a car that was his. So his first murder was a night. So okay, um, guys, this is where we're gonna dive into it. Just listeners out there, this is where we're gonna dive into it. Just I know um, we're talking about an evil guy. This is where we're diving into it. Yep. I just I just had to say that. I so just, so uh, he moves to Las Vegas, right, or Los Angeles? Los Angeles. Okay, Los Angeles. so he moves to Los Angeles. He lives uh, there for three years. Yeah. So so he. He's living there for a few years, just kind of robbing houses like, and stuff. Yeah, the just whole like time. petty criminal, car thief, pickpocket kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, that, um, that like uh, like carjacking. Yep. And, and then he actually he got arrested for a car theft, right? right? And spent six months in jail. Well, the, his first actual time he was in jail was for car theft. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was six months or not. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the very first time that he was actually ever arrested was car theft. Because mm-hmm. he never had a real job. Yeah, he never had a real job. His whole living was breaking into houses, and yeah, you know, like like the big thing I'm going to get into later is his mo was completely changing every single time, especially when he gets into what you call berserker mode. Oh yeah, like once he because like, uh, between his first kill and his second kill was eight months, and you know, and that was eighty eighty four and still eighty four, and then when and the 17 16 kills after that we're we're, we're in a 12 month period right which is unprecedented yeah, that's pretty quick it, yeah it's fucking unprecedented like there was more than one that he did he did like 3 in one night oh yeah and and not all of them were kills to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. not all of them were kills a lot of them were just like mutilations and rapes and stuff like that right and i hate saying that word but like i'm going to as i get further into what's going on i'm going to use a different word Okay. <laughs> so, because it, it gets pretty fucking extreme. It gets pretty fucking extreme. So his uh, his first murder was a nine year old girl. Didn't, they actually didn't discover her till two thousand five. Oh wow! Yeah, because he uh, admitted to it, and they went and found her body. Okay. Yeah, you know, he violated. I'm going to use the word violated her, put her in a duffel bag, and threw her in some water, and like he told her where to told him told him where to find her. There she was. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I'm going to try to keep it light. Like, there's some heavy shit to talk about. Okay. So he, uh, his, his big starting mo was preying on people that were easy, mm-hmm. young and old. Okay. And this was what? What time was this? What year? 1984. Okay. Uh, like or June or July, something like that. Um, you know what? I didn't think to write down. I think the it's month. like summer. Yeah, I didn't think yet. to write down the month. I didn't think. And the, during this whole time, he's uh, utilizing the highway. He's like all over the place. Uh, yeah. I get into later that uh, his his entire kill radius. I, I hate to, what a phrase. His entire kill radius was forty miles. Yeah, well, and that's just all of the suburbs around Los Angeles. Yeah, basically. yeah. Like, and and the, one of the cool things, well, one of the things I found was that every tiny little like suburb that they that he was active in actually had their own quote unquote boogeyman story. Okay, you know, like to where they kind of made it their own. Not realizing it was one guy, mm-hmm. because Pre- he sw- switched his mo so often, so fucking frequently, and the police departments didn't coordinate. That's a big fucking problem. That's a big fucking problem. That like they, at that time, they didn't share information because they were like vying for actually. Uh, like one of the things I found is they were vying for like grants and stuff like that. Yeah, so they were really competitive with each yeah, other. Yeah, like the one police department would get such and such, like convictions and indictments and stuff like that and they would get money other police departments were like no nah, man like it was com- it was a competition the whole time right which is fucked man like think about if we did that today mm-hmm. you know, like there would be no convictions of anybody you know like if facebook wasn't a thing you know what i mean so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep rolling okay his uh second murder was a uh, genie v v-i-c-o-w yep yep 
She actually cut her throat so deep her head almost came off. She was an old lady. I, I didn't write down her age because seventy nine. She was. Was it seventy nine? Yep. Like I, I, like, like going through this book, I've read so many or listened to so many old ages. Like, man, like I'm gonna give a quick opinion. Like, yeah, you guys know I'm like super interested in serial killers and stuff like that. But anybody that only preys on the weak's a fucking coward. Yeah. Like I mean, I I agree. I mean, like I said the other day, you know, like anybody can push down an old lady in the mall. You know what I mean? Like it's it's uh, it's something that um, yeah, it's just yeah, it's makes you a monster, man. Makes yeah. you a fucking monster. Makes you a monster. Yeah, like it's uh, that's why I, that's why I say that uh, Ramirez is my definition of evil. Yeah, and I mean you know, and like furthermore, uh, we can get into this later. But like since you brought this up, like as far as his interviews and stuff mm-hmm. later, like I realized well, that he a lot lo- of it, he loved the media. Well, yeah, I mean, and like if you if you really listen to what he's saying, like he says the word serial killer. More than any other serial killer that I've ever heard. Right, like, right. Like he well, sort of. Well, he gave himself own brand. Yeah, well, he, well, like, well, he, well, he, uh, he tried to like Dahmer didn't call himself a serial killer. Ex- you, you hit it right there. Yeah. He tried too hard to yeah. be a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He, he tried to be, he tried to be like I keep saying my definition of evil. Right. And he, I think he, I think I think, I think that's why he was so sporadic and sort of all over the place is because he was like thinking, "Hmm, what would an evil person do?" This huh. is what this is what an evil person would yeah, do. Yeah, they would so, go kill like an old said, lady. Mm. They would go kill a little girl, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. I mean, tried to be evil as he could, man. Yeah. He tried to be evil as and like so in between his first and second murder, he had a, a eight down cool uh, eight month cooldown. Okay. Which is about average. Yeah. It's about average. But uh, during the whole time, though, he was actually still kidnapping and raping little little girls. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and you know, like I get, I have to keep going back to this, guys. I'm trying to not, I'm I'm just telling a story. You're doing fine. You're doing good. <laughs> you know, like so. Uh, his uh, his next actual kill was the girl we just talked about. It was June 1984. Her, it was, she was a six year old six year old girl. He assaulted her. That's the use, that's the phrase I'm gonna use. He assaulted her, put her in a laundry bag. And then threw her into the water. That was a girl they found in 2005. Mm-hmm. So, and then his. So, okay. So, right now we're going to hit a ramp up period. This is a ramp up period mm-hmm. b- before, before his like because he had he had a technical cool down before he fucking went crazy. Yep. Yeah. That a, was the eight months basically. Uh, yeah. 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 So there's uh, Maria Maria Hernandez and Dale. Okay, this is the way the last name is spelled. Okazaki. It was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, you got ahead of me, so I got to mark that off. So um, they were actually roommates. Two two female roommates. Yeah, man. And uh, he actually walked in and shot Osazaki. Say it again. Okazaki? In the head with a twenty two caliber. Yep. So Maria was the one that he followed into the garage, right? Right. And this is a really crazy story. He followed her. Oh, he actually... From what I saw from an interview, he was actually waiting in the garage. Uh, I thought he followed her home. Like, he started following her on the freeway and, like, well, followed her home into the, the garage. The way he made his entrance to the house was through the garage. Right. But he, he had, like, followed her in her right, car for right, a while. Yeah. 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 So, like, she was actually. Um, so, after shooting, was, oh, say it again. Well, so he shot Maria Hernandez. Hernandez. Right? And then well, the one that deflected the bullet was... Uh, Hernandez. Hernandez, yep. yeah. So she was in the garage, and he shoots her, and she puts her hand up, and she happens to have her off keys her keys in her hand. Crazy ass right? shit. And so, but she plays dead and falls down, mm-hmm. and that's the reason she lived. Well, uh, she actually didn't live. Okay. He comes back and shoots her in the head. Like she, ah. she actually, in the, in, the, in the recounting from Ramirez, she's in the kitchen. At, like trying to like figure out what's going on, and she pokes her head up, and the gun in her face, bam. Okay. Yeah, like so that was like this is where the kills like start coming, coming like. Oh yeah. You know, like so uh, right after that. So this is 1985. Yep, that was actually uh, March 17th. Yeah, 1985, right? Yep. So this is where it starts ramping up. Like uh, you just mentioned, like the bullet bounces off. Okay, so he actually only used four different guns mm-hmm. four all, different four different calibers well they were all 22s and 25s 22s right? and 25s yeah. yeah only two of his victims actually died from gunshots so one hour later silent you i said it he actually was following her on the freeway and she pulled over because she, she was actually upset about being followed yeah and he got out and shot her in the head yep she's like what are you doing and he just shot her yeah yeah and the, the, here's the weird thing is like is uh 
his MO just kept changing. Yeah. Making it so hard to, like, for, definitely for, like, a police department that wasn't, like, sharing information. Yeah. So freaking hard to share information. Yeah, like, they, they honestly, a lot of times, they thought it was different people, particularly with the geographical distance and every, all the yeah, factors oh, combined. One of the big things was, like, the freeway killer. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like, uh, at that time, like, somebody that had a 40-mile 40, 40 radius was kind of unheard of. Oh, yeah. Particularly when 40 miles encompassed, you know, probably, like, a dozen little suburbs. <laughs> exactly. Well, Los Angeles is notorious for, you know, like, uh, it's like Atomita and, like, all these crazy little spots, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mission Viejo and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. So, uh, two nights later was uh, Maxine and Vincent Cesara, 2 a.m. in the morning. Okay. 2 a.m. in the Maxine was 46 and Vincent was 44. Okay. Yeah, the, from what I saw that they were a couple, but the thing is, uh, uh, I'm just going to, at this point, I'm going to call him Richie. At, the, at this point, Richie saw him as a easy target. Right. You know, like he, cause he would spend a lot of time, like one of the reasons he was the name of the night stalker is that, like, He'd come and peek in your windows. And right, yeah, he would, like, go and sh- he would check. Like, most of the time when he entered, it was through, like, unlocked yeah. or, like, unsecured doors and windows. And well, and if right? it was too difficult, he'd move on to the next place. Yeah. That's, that's the big thing is, like, if, it, if he couldn't, like, just get in, he'd move on to the next place. So, again, kind of keeping stuff not, not disgusting just to be disgusting. Like, he walked in, shot Vincent in the head, moved on to Maxine grabs her and puts her in finger cuffs which was taught to him by his uh, cousin Mike okay he's, uh, the finger cuffs were like it's it's literally like this fucked up little device that clamps your fingernails together yeah like they're, it, they're almost kind of like the the old school like, like the, the Chinese finger, finger trap yep. it's basically like that it's, finger, it's basically like that but it has to actually do with like a, a clamp down vice okay it's not 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 pleasant mm-hmm. but uh so he uh, he moves on, you know, from killing the killing the husband, moves on to uh, let me see what's the name. So he actually uh, ha- he violates her and moves on, and she's trying to leave. He's trying to leave the house, and she finds a shotgun. There's no bullets in the shotgun. Yeah, click click, and that's you got to you got to imagine put yourself in that situation. Like you just went through something crazy. You find a shotgun, yeah, and click. Yeah, so like she she runs it like in front of him, like tries to shoot him, and it just clicks because I guess yeah. her her husband had like. Well, taken he took the, the bullets out because their his uh, grandchildren yeah were, came over just the like day before child right? safety yeah yeah, and yeah, and that's kind of fucked up situation. It, it's a fucked up uh, coincidence. Mm. It's a fucked up coincidence, but uh, at that point he actually gets upset. Yeah. Yeah, he actually gets really upset. Yeah, for for some reason, you know, it, it's okay for him to do what he did, but God forbid you try to shoot him. Right, you right. Know. Well, and this is one of his uh, first... Or uh, Satan forbid, should I say. Satan forbid. <laughs> At this point is one of his first, like, incidents of mutilation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I keep repeating myself, but, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So um, he actually gouged her eyes out yep after he shot her so he shot her three times four, and then he was so times, mad four, four times okay four chest. times four, yeah uh, only because i wrote that down and i just saw it on my last page that I put a size four times in the chest with a 24 22 yeah 22 yep and then he and then he cut her eyes out with a knife right yeah yeah he uh, like the way i wrote it down to like keep it on point is like he mutilated her like it was he butchered her he butchered her yeah and he actually took her eyes home in a uh in a uh, jewelry box. Mm. And this is actually the incidence where he left his ACDC hat. Oh, really? Yeah. This, yeah. this is if, this this is where they found the ACDC hat. There was no DNA at that point where they could like... Um, like sweat or whatever, yeah. Sweat or hair or follicles or anything like that. Yeah. Like, and uh, at this incident is where he left his ACDC hat and there were shoe prints... There were shoe prints of a new shoe that was brought to the United States called Avia. Mm-hmm. Avia. Yep. And they had a very unique, like, um, shoe print. Yep. Shoe print. And th- so they were, like, starting to put it together. Because, like, uh, I actually saw an instance where we'll get into the, te- the detective later. Went and actually matched up the shoe prints. 
because of somebody ordered that shoe and got it and bought it. Right. Well, and they were it would like you said they were like literally brand brand new. Yeah, they weren't in the states and, yet. Yeah, they yeah. Were, and well, they were. That's what I mean. They were brand new in the states, and like that was literally the only pair that had been sold in the LA area at that yeah, time. Yeah. Well, and there's actually an instance I'll get into later to where he actually stomped somebody in the face. Yep. And like it, uh, it actually left an imprint. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this is again, we're getting at like the ramping up, the yep. ramping up. Like it's just like there's like, it's just like one after another. Uh, Doyle is that that's the one we were talking about, right? Uh, William Doy and Lillian Doy, they were the Doy, next. Doy, Doy. Yeah, yeah. They were the they were the next couple after the Cesaros. Yeah. So outside of their residence, they found the shoe print of the, the Avia, right? The Avia, and it, like we just talked about what it was, and they realize they realize that that at this point they actually have a serial killer on their hands because the evidence is like lining up. Right. Like it's uh, there's evidence that is the same thing at each site mm-hmm. and the big thing without uh sharing information you still gotta kind of figure it out on your own right well and even even with that, that the, was a uh, before you say anything that was uh may 14th 1985 yep that was uh one of the big things though even though he had this difference in mo and method as far as how and what he would kill with there were always similarities like mm-hmm. the shoe prints yeah you know and and like his method of entry and things like well, that. when you so. start getting into like with the girl that he pulled out of the car shut up bitch or i'll kill you right you know like and that that was uh part of like uh i'll get into it later there were yeah there were a lot of differences but there were also a lot of similarities yeah yeah exactly and that and he he was um he was an anomaly man he was an anomaly oh, yeah. like that's uh to be that evil like do you come on man like yeah. There, there's maybe there's maybe there's people in the United States at this time that are functioning at that level, but they'd be in the news. They'd be in the news, man. These fucking evil, man. Yep. So what I was gonna mention is okay. So that what we just talked about was May May fourteenth, nineteen eighty five, and uh, the I'm gonna just real quick get into like actually what happened to that. Like he bound her with the thumb cuffs again. Because that was actually a thing that he was taught to him by Uncle Mike or cousin Mike, right? And it, he was almost almost always used founding that technique after the fact, mm-hmm. and the shut up bitch, you know, like so. There was a lot of people that survived were shut up bitch, shut up bitch, or I'll kill you. Right. And so on that note, uh, from what I I found, um, basically he would always take out the husband first because mm-hmm. the husband was like the biggest threat. Well, on that um, on that know, note, Bill survived on this attack. Okay. Well, uh, didn't survive till the end, but he survived long enough to call the cops. Yeah. Um, and so if the woman resisted, he would kill her. And if she didn't resist, then most of the time he didn't kill her. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Basically like, cause he was a coward. He was a fucking coward. Yeah. He was a piece of shit. Yeah, he was a fucking coward. Like if, uh, if you, there was any resistance there where he couldn't do what he wanted to do, he would just fucking shoot you. Yeah. Fucking coward. Anyway. So now we're going to get into, uh, Mal Bell and Nettie Lang. Okay. So uh, Mal Bell was 83, Nettie Lang was 81. Uh, yep. Yeah, you know, like that's uh, that's again right there being a coward, going after, going after, right. Somebody that couldn't couldn't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Like particularly how he did that because he bludgeoned Mal Bell with a hammer, right? And then fucking shocked them. Oh yeah, with the the uh, the lamp. Uh, yeah, cords. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he walks into their house. Grabs a hammer and kills. Well, he bludgeoned one. He bludgeoned Ma Bell with a hammer. Yep. And then he moved on to Nettie Lang. Florence Lang. Yep. Yep. Uh, I wrote down Nettie. Well, it's probably a nickname. Yep. 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 But uh, the thing is, is he tortured them. He tortured them and shocked them. Mm -hmm. And like that's. God, he's fucking evil, dude. So he basically he, he took a lamp. He took like a lamp and like left the cord plugged in the wall and like pulled the cord out of the back of the lamp and like used it as uh, basically shock torture to, as a torture. Yep. And they actually lived for four days. Mm-hmm. They actually survived for four days. There was a uh, there was a uh, a maintenance man that actually came and found them after the fact, but he actually drew uh, pentagrams on them. This is where the pentagrams started. 
That's where yeah. the cannibalism started. That's so like, he drew he drew one on the wall and one on her the leg, inner, right? Inner thigh, yeah. Yeah. Inner thigh. And lipstick, actually, which is... And that one of the other crazy things is actually, like, sat down in their house, made himself at home. He, uh, he ate two bananas, drank two cans of soda, and pissed in their toilet without flushing it. Mm-hmm. it like, that's... That that speaks to like some level, this some next level of just t- like he like you said before, like he didn't care about getting caught. Like in his mind, like he didn't think that he could get caught. Yeah. Like you know, in, like today's forensics, like if you pissed in a toilet, right? They'd be able to. Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. Well, and and I think a lot of a lot of factors sort of uh, led to that, but a lot of it was just the the primitive nature of forensics at that time mm-hmm. you yeah. know i mean like they I, I understand that eventually they were able to sort of compile a fingerprint database but originally uh like when he got arrested for the uh the carjacking the that's car right. theft that's right um he left a thumbprint on the rearview mirror Which they didn't have that yet. um and they, so they they recorded the thumbprint but they didn't have like the, a database the, the database to match it against um, and so then eventually later that, that all comes back into play, but I'm sure we'll get there. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. It's well, like he was a, one of the very first big cases in forensics, mm. like with the shoe print and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I could see that. Yeah. Like that's, it's, th- there was nothing like compared in the past before him. I mean, like he was, he had, he had Los Angeles, like in a state of like, t- like even more than the son of Sam, like in New York. Well, I think too. I think it was it was also to a certain extent just sort of a um, a coincidence of the timing of technology as far as oh, the, yeah. the progression of computers and things like that. You know, as far as um, well, internet wasn't out there yet, right? Well, but just you know, like um, Apple and IBM, like they were all starting up, and it was just now getting to the point where a computer wasn't the size of like a room, <laughs> you know. And so I think that technological advance sort of yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, helped their their process as well, far well, as advancing it. Well, and that's a big reason, like people people like Richard Ramirez can't really exist anymore, because there's too many too many um, connections. Yeah, there's there's just no like, not to say that they that people like him don't exist anymore. Yeah, but there's no way that somebody could get away. Well, I mean, uh, you got to be some sort of super genius. Like, yeah, you have to be a super. You have to be a super villain. It's technically it. feasible, I suppose. Not to say he wasn't a super villain. Yeah, <laughs> I get what you're saying, man. Like, because you'd have to have like complete understanding of uh, forensics, uh, surveillance. Because like Richard Ramirez never drove a car that wasn't stolen. Yeah. Maybe if you're a secret agent, man. Secret agent. All right, so we're going to keep rocking here. Okay. So Harold and Jean Wu. This is where I'm going next. Okay. Harold and Jean Wu. He broke in and shot the husband in the head with the 25. And she, he put her in the thumb screws again, rapes her, and leaves her alive, which is changing his MO again. Mm-hmm. Like, so, because typically, you know, he's got no, he's not predictable at all. Right. Not predictable at all. Like, for him to break in and leave the victim alive was different than his last, you know? And, like, right. there's no, there's no, like, uh, line to, like, keep shit on, on track. Like, okay, okay, this is the same guy. This is the same guy. Right, right, right. So, right after that is Ruth Wilson. She's 41. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is a fucked up one. This is a fucked up one. He breaks into her house. Binds her twelve-year-old, twelve-year-old son, twelve-year-old son, violates him in a way that I'm not going to talk about, and then makes her watch, and then does it a second time before he leaves. You know, and she actually testified to that. You know, what I mean, like that's. Uh, he raped her too, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yep, yep. yeah. And well, and the the big thing is accused her twelve year old son as like a bargaining chip to like where's the money? Where's the money? Uh-huh. And then she's like, "There's no money." And he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this, and you're gonna watch. Where's the money? Fucking demon, dude. Fucking yep. demon. Yep. So uh, this here's another huge escalation. Another huge escalation." So he uh, he left his last two victims alive, the two people I was talking about. So Carol Kyle was his next one. Okay. Carol Kyle. 
he actually she's one of his survivors again like i said the mo is like he's not killing all the time he's not raping all the time a lot of it is robbing stuff like that and i i i'm i keep having to say like oh my god i know this episode's heavy i know i know i'm sorry i know <laughs> just enjoy get some knowledge you know what i mean but uh she survived and gave a um gave a uh uh what do you call it? A statement? Okay. A, um, testimony? Testimony. Yep. She uh, she said that he was good looking and smelled of wet leather. Mm. Like, I don't... But, you know, like, he didn't... He hurt her, and she still said that. Yep. And at this point, his, uh, his crimes are getting closer and closer together. Like, days at a time. Days at a time. He almost gets... Uh, he almost actually gets caught in a failed break-in... He actually tries. He was been following this girl in Eagle Rock, and uh, follows her home and fucking sees a man in the house cleaning a shotgun. Oh yeah. So so he's like, nah, nah, not this house. Yeah. No, I'm gonna move on. Like that. That guy's got a shotgun. Yep, yep. So like, and leaving that house, he actually gets pulled over because he ran a red light. Ah. Did you did you see that? Uh, maybe. But tell me about it. Well, he got pulled over because he ran a red light and. Uh, the cop at this time, like in after like his debrief, which you whatever we want to call it, actually already had the description of Ramirez and we and like the type of person like that they're looking for. Like you better pull this dude over, and he's probably driving a stolen car, has this luxurious fucking black curly hair and fucked up teeth. <laughs> like you better pull this guy over and take care of him. And, like, the cop actually asked Ramirez, like, hey, you ain't that guy that's been killing people in their houses, are you? <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Uh, uh, yeah, and then Ramirez says, nope. Uh, when are you guys going to catch that fucker? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that, like that's the thing is, like, without, uh, like, uh, information sharing. Yeah. You know, like, the, like, like if, uh, if that p- specific officer would have had a picture. Yeah. It would have been like, dude. Like, he, like, he was off- obviously suspicious enough. Yeah. Obviously suspicious enough. It's just I don't know, like it it uh it disheartens me a little bit. I think it's kind of ridiculous how so many close calls like they got away like Dahmer got away with that a couple times. More than once with yeah. Super Nufophone. Oh yeah. And dude like more than once. Like it's more like it once. seems like every time like we we talk about something like this, like there's always like a close call that like could every have, time you know every time could have prevented like countless deaths. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and, and that's what's fucking crazy. What, it just blows my mind. Like, like if there would have been like information sharing, yeah, I'm sure that would have been like I'm sure Ramirez had a mug photo at some point. Yeah, like if that cop would have had a laptop in his car with the yeah. with the picture on it. I know that's, of course, that didn't happen in the 80s, but. Dude, yeah, but still, but still, I mean, like, there's, if there would have been, like, more information sharing, there would, or maybe better training for that officer. Well, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, it was the time. It well, exactly. Time. That's what I mean by by that. It was just a, a more primitive. Yeah. So. so, at that point, like, um, by protocol, this was a motorcycle cop. So, we had to. By protocol, he had to actually walk back to his his uh, vehicle, his his bike, and call it in. Like, okay, this license plate, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's p- like standard procedure. They always run the license plate. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. during that time, fucking Ramirez got out of his car and drew a pentagram on the car and took off running. Yeah, it just ran away, and like the cop didn't even notice. Yeah, you know, and at, that's where you're like, oh fuck, that was that was the Night Stalker. What? Yeah. <laughs> like he drew a fucking. He drew a fucking pentagram on his car and took off running. Like, especially considering it was a bike cop, how the fuck did he not see him get out and run away? Yeah, exactly, dude, exactly. <laughs> well, and then, like, okay, so, like, put yourself in this cop scenario. Like, you just asked this guy if he was the psycho killer. He's like, nah, no, no, not yep, me. Just straight face, no way, dude, not me. And then you turn back around and there's a pentagram on the car and he's fucking gone. And, like, and we, we like, talked about the Satanism and all that stuff, but, like, what I'm well, the reason I bring that up is like coming in next is like he genuinely believed that Satan was helping him. Oh yeah, he genu genuinely believed that his heart of hearts. Like you, you look at his uh, his uh, on our on episode two of this, I'm gonna actually play some interviews of him like talking, talking about like yeah, the the devil, the, the you know the devil protected me. That's why I did as much as I was able to do. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like you said, I think that's also uh, some big ammunition for his belief that he was protected as far as like, you know, getting away with the whole hotel incident. And then also uh, the, this one, you know, like how likely is it for you to run away on foot from a cop? You know uh, yeah. I mean? A motorcycle cop even. Yeah. So yeah. like, I mean, he had to feel like there was like something looking out for him, I guess. Like, I get that. Well, he was delusional, man. Like, oh, like, yeah, of course. It was like, like I said, like my def- definition of evil. You know, like that's. He was definitely. He had a chemical imbalance that we don't understand. Yep, yep. He for def- sure. he, like, there's no way you or I can understand that chemical imbalance. There's just fucking no way. <laughs> and that's all what it is, man. It's, it's chemicals. But like, he legit saw himself as a demon. Mm-hmm. Like he, when once you get into his uh, interviews and stuff like that. He thought he was, like you said, the right hand of the devil. Like, he thought he was protected by dark forces, saw himself as a demon. Mm-hmm. It's some pretty scary shit, dude. Like, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people out there that are scary, but that's fucking scary. Mm. That's fucking scary. So, uh, right after him running away from this cop, it was two nights later, Patty Higgins and Mary Cannon. Uh, the only uh, the only age I found was for Mary Cannon. She was 75. He beat her to death with a lamp and then killed Patty with a 10-inch butter knife. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen a 10-inch butter knife before? I don't think so. Me neither, man. <laughs> like, I don't know what you... I don't know where you could get a 10-inch butter knife from. Huh. And well, the, the thing that I was kind of like reading is the, the force that it would take to kill somebody with a 10-inch butter knife... Like that shit would, yeah, whatever. I'm not even gonna. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, uh, so he's getting more brutal. Yeah. He's getting more brutal. Like, uh, so the next one is uh, Joyce Nelson. He actually stomped her to death and actually left a footprint of his avia mm-hmm. shoes that we were talking about. Right. And, like, and, like, I, I'm just gonna piggyback on what I was saying a second ago, like, just being, getting more brutal. To stomp somebody to death, man. Yeah. What was this fucking American History X? Yep. <laughs> so and then uh, basically this shit, this shit starts fucking ramping up. It's fucking like you, you're basically everyday serial and everyday serial killer is a fucked up phrase to say, but like your average average is that even worse to say average? So <laughs> you know you, what I'm getting at is cool down. Period. Stereotypical yeah. serial killer. What what I'm getting at is cool down period. You look at, like, Gacy, Dahmer, Ridgeway. There's, like, a cool-down period. He starts to go into what's called berserker mode. Right, right, right. No cool-down period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, like, the... I think he's been in berserker mode, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, it ramps up, though. It does, it, yeah. It, you're it, right. It, it fucking ramps up. It fucking ramps up. So he's actually starting to kill, like, every day. You know, like, by by the time he gets caught, it's fucking 17 people that are suspect of you know like whether he's raped or killed right 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 so at this point the media starts going fucking crazy the media starts going crazy he's got uh no he's got no um like uh nomenclature you know like no the word you know what i'm looking for like uh like a name right he's got like no name yet like uh we've given a couple of like his of his examples and stuff like that yet but uh at this point and uh 80 Four, no, it's eight, late '85 actually. Yep, yep. Where gun sales and guard dog sales start to go off the chart. Okay. Yeah, like like people start buying like guns and guard dogs, and they actually stops. Uh, one of the big things I saw in an interview on CNN was people stop sleeping in LA, stop sleeping with their windows open. Yep. Which is fucked up, man. Yep. Oh well, you know, but we talked about that before. So and then. Uh, as all this shit's like hitting the fan, June twenty second, Patty Higgins, July twenty second. No, no, July second. I'm sorry, Mary. It was uh, July. Patty Higgins, Patty Higgins, and Mary Cannon. Within three days of each other, were both bludgeoned to death. So, following this is where we have uh, Patty Higgins, which was a uh, July twenty second. Okay, and, and then Mary Cannon. Which was in uh, July fifth, which is a, she was a sixteen-year-old girl. Okay. Which uh, is ramping up the ramping up the speed of the 
way he's like attacking people like think about it that was like only like eight days later i yep. think i think eight days later he breaks into her house her parents were asleep he actually walks up to her and wakes her up by hitting her in the head with a fucking tire iron okay yeah like that's <laughs> like uh i think on lp he called it a, a texas good morning mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh like it's uh no i shouldn't be laughing at this but like uh he uh basically assaults her and then uh he actually leaves after assaulting her. So, so she was one that he left alive. Yep. Very rare. Very rare. And uh, to to fix her up, top and bottom, I'm, I'm using top and bottom, it was 478 stitches. Oh. Yeah, to, to stop the bleeding and keep her alive. It, the thing is, is like, yeah, she saw his face. Right. Yeah, and that's where kind of shit started to change so i have a his next victims actually have the names written out i can't fucking say them because they're vietnamese okay so it's c-h-a-v-a-n-o-j-o-n-g sabanaka sabanake it's um i'm just gonna go ahead and just continue as a vietnamese couple where i can't say the names yep yep just just uh not do any injustice just not to do that so uh he uh, walked in and used a twenty-five caliber on the husband. He moves on to the wife, violates her, and then finds their nine-year-old son, uses him as a torture in- implement against the wife by violating him. I'm just gonna put it that way. Okay. I'm just gonna put it that way. That's that's where I'm. That's where I'm gonna. And the entire time he's uh, where the entire time he's like. Swear to Satan, swear to Satan, bitch, swear to Satan. Right. And then, and then here's a transcript of when she was giving her testimony to the police. Not not during the trial, but just a transcript. Mm-hmm. So, so I put this in. I said RR for Ramirez and then wife for her name because I can't say it. So RR, where's the money, motherfucker? Wife, no money, no money, I swear to God. RR. No, swear to Satan, bitch. Second assault. That's where I put that. Like, so he assaulted her a second time. Mm-hmm. So, after the fact, after the fact, um, she was expressing to the police, he is dangerous beyond words. Too mean, so evil. His eyes were like animals, not human. Yep, sounds about right. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, like, there, there's... Again, like with the story, I really got to be, if you guys really knew, like I'm really trying to keep it enough to where you want to listen to it where it doesn't gross you out. Makes sense, yep. So we're kind of drawing to the close of episode one here. Okay. So uh, now we have the super cop on the case. Okay. The super cop on the the case. Same guy that caught Gary, Gary Ridgway. Oh, wow. Same guy that caught Gary Ridgway. So his name is Frank Silenaro. S I L E R N O. He uh, he's the very first one that starts putting together the footprints, the uh, pentagrams, and he actually goes to a cult, a cult uh, cult hall, which was a lo- there was a lot of them in Skid Row, to where you know cult halls were just basically your generic like um, nightclub that had to do with like Satanism and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. So, and he actually matches a footprint to the Avi- the Aviera footprint, the Aviera footprint that he had. Oh wow! Yeah. So that's uh, basically this is where it all like starts coming together. Like we have Max Max Lita. No, I'm not going to jump into this yet. This I'm saving this for the next part. All right, sounds so this good. is where I'm stopping it. Okay. So this is where we got the super cop coming in. This is where we got the super cop coming in, putting in putting in the uh, the little notes of. The other where the other cops didn't put their shit together. A guy that already caught a serial killer. A guy that's um, a guy that's uh, basically f- putting stuff together, putting these little dots together. Yeah, Salerno. Yeah, he yeah. was a, he was a really good cop. Yeah, that like so. We're gonna end episode one at right at an hour, and at the at the super cop at very the cool. super cop. All right, brother. So uh, we should be back for part two very, very Monday. soon, right? Monday. It, well, whatever day, whatever day you're Yeah, ready, just yeah. a couple few days. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, but uh, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, part one of Richard Ramirez. Yeah. That was a, a, on a very fucked up way to say it, a labor of love for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, brother, uh, thank you for being here for Richard Ramirez, man. Awesome, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good time as always. We'll uh, be back very soon for part yeah, two. Yeah, second, the second one's going to be interesting. And uh, what, what were our ideas for uh, for our next one? Well, we got, uh, we got some we got some ideas. Yeah, we got a couple things cooking. If you guys uh, want to give us some such su- su- suggestions, right, right. We'll 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 save the the um, the official announcement for part two. <laughs> right, right. All right, brother. Thank you for being here for Rufus Hill and True Crime Corner. Very cool. We'll see you soon. All right, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Yep. Thanks.